pockets up a beer or a cold libation. I can tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start off with some talking and some movie clips of popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations, and some groundness exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching, and some blind unboxing, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest, and of course you know what's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. I have a special guest today, K.R. King. K.R. does the D&D Homebrew YouTube channel. Great, great YouTube channel. Lots of wonderful advice on there. I'm subscribed to it. I highly recommend it. And also the Monsters and Treasures podcast with Daniel Norton of the Bandits Keep Media Empire. Check both those things out. And I hope you enjoy our discussion which is about the 1972 TV movie, The Night Stalker, which later grew into the Coltrack The Night Stalker TV show. Chapter 1. This is the story behind one of the greatest manhunts in history. Maybe you read about it, or rather what they let you read about it, probably is some minor item buried somewhere on a back page. However, what happened in that city between May 16th and May 28th of this year was so incredible that to this day the facts have been suppressed in a massive effort to save certain political careers from disaster and law enforcement officials from embarrassment. This will be the last time I will ever discuss these events with anyone. So when you have finished this bizarre account, judge for yourself its believability, and then try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, it couldn't happen here. K.R., thank you for joining me tonight to talk about this wonderful movie, or TV movie, I guess. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, and I'm very excited. I This is one that's it's from my childhood. Uh, I've watched it many times since I taught a course in uh, speculative fiction and horror, and I, I had this for my students in Poland. Uh, I just think this is a just such a great film to both see and, and have fun with, but also to think about the time period and kind of what it meant to our to our pop culture well yeah it's a it's a time capsule right and it it's just like you say for a throwaway movie of the week kind of thing it really it, it's really great and it still resonates today it's still something people can watch today and enjoy i think the pace is good everything i don't think there's anything here to turn off a modern viewer but i i guess we'll get into that folks mm-hmm. we're, we're going to be talking about the night stalker from 1972 you can find it on YouTube. You can find DVDs and Blu-rays of it. We're going to spoil the heck out of this thing. So if you haven't seen it, honestly, you could probably listen to this and then go find it and watch it. There aren't a whole lot of secret twists in the show, but it's like always, it's better if you watch it first. But we are going to spoil the heck out of it. I think the first thing we want to talk about here maybe are the people behind this. So. This was based on a story by Jeff Rice, uh, which was unpublished at the time. Now it's been published by Moonstone Press, who continue to pu- they have the license to publish Coltrack stuff, and they and they still publish some prose and comic books and things like that. It last year or maybe this year, I don't know. Recently, they had a 50th anniversary Kickstarter where they put out a whole bunch of stuff Coltrack related. I got a bunch of stuff from them for for that. But the actual screenplay was done by Richard Matherson. And we know him for what well, I'm going to turn it over to KR. I'll let you talk a little bit about Matheson. Well, Richard Matheson is a legend. Uh, speaking of I am legend, right? His, yeah, his uh, yeah. zombie thing that some people I think that that um, that book and also the uh, night of the zombies or whatever, the British film, the hammer film where the guy comes back from the voodoo and has the Cornish mm-hmm. miners that kind of created the image of zombies ghouls that george romero used but also his hell house which he very slyly references in this he is a legend to himself and the the minute you see his name on this you go oh 
And then, of course, you've got as a producer who directed the sequel, Dan Curtis, Mm -hmm. who, of course, is known for Dark Shadows. He kind of revitalized the whole movement in the 60s and early 70s to make horror more serious, right? Not Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or something. Or, you know, the creature from outer space where it's just some guy in a monkey suit with a globe on his head chasing girls around the desert or something. It was serious stuff. I guess them could be considered serious. We could veer into that category. So when you get Dan Curtis and Richard Matheson behind this, and Richard Llewellyn, who directed it, he was kind of just a professional director, which I would say relates to what you were talking about, about the this thing moves along. It's shot very inexpensively, but very economically, everything makes sense. This is just a great example of professional filmmaking with a TV budget. A hundred percent. So real quick, quickly, um, Llewellyn, John Llewellyn Moxley, who directed this, he also did the horror film. He did a ton of TV stuff. He did the horror film City of the Dead, also known as Horror Hotel from 1960. I don't know if you've seen that. It's got uh, Christopher Lee in it. I've seen it. It's kind of like a, a witch cult kind of thing. And, and it's actually not too bad. It's kind of interesting. You can find that all over the place, uh, you know, Amazon and YouTube, wherever. But you can find that for free all, all over the place. But Dan Curtis, you mentioned Dan Curtis. And like I say, he made horror serious and he made a number of these. Now, like I say, Dark Shadows for our generation and up to maybe 20 years ago, Dark Shadows probably is what he's best known for. He might be best known for Coltrack today, sadly, but he did Burnt mm-hmm. Offerings, amazing movie. You Oliver know, Reed. <laughs> yeah, the Trilogy of Terror he did, which the Trilogy of Terror, you know, it's got the three stories that have Liz- Lizette Anthony as the lead. And of course, we saw her in last month's movie, The Month, in Kroll, where she's Princess Liza. But in Trillia Terror, she's doing all these things. She has a little African doll, voodoo doll, chasing her around and stuff. Um, was that Karen Black or was it? Li- I uh, think it was Karen Black. But I, I I'm always sure. thought it was Karen Black, too. But when I look at here at the um, IMDb, okay, it's got Liza Anthony. Now, that's interesting because okay. you're right. I always thought that was Karen Black. Because she also did burn offerings, I believe, right? She was yeah, she she Oliver's yeah, wife. She was yeah. the, so you know what? I think somebody is, I, I hopped in here and I think somebody's screwed with the, because you're right, it is Karen Black. So that's weird. Somebody, somebody's so, jack. So that's why you don't trust Wikipedia, folks. Yeah, exactly. Because oh, you know why? Get on there and make- She's in Trilogy Terror 2. But uh, somebody changed up the, oh, well, whatever. Anyway, so scratch all that about Crawl. You're right, it is Karen Black. <laughs> And and that's okay. But the other thing with Dan Curtis, though, he brought a number of other movies of the week after this and trying to recapture that fire. So you can find the Norless Tapes, which is a really interesting pilot for a show that was never made, highly recommended. Also might have a vampire in it. We have Curse of the Black Widow, Scream of the Wolf, all really cool stuff. He did a the 1974 Dracula, which is interesting. Um for non-horror folks, he did Winds of War and, and some other things. But Curtis is a really interesting guy. He was married to his wife for 54 years and then died 20 years after she did in 2006. Or 20 days after she did in 2006. So it was one of those kind of things. But yeah, le- legendary director. You could do a show just about him. But let's talk about some of the cast here. We've got, well, let's start with Darren McGavin. Right. And Darren McGavin was a Broadway star, you know, yeah. before. And then he had a TV show, Riverboat, famously with Burt Reynolds. And Burt got really mad at him because he was stealing. He didn't like it when Burt had the scenes and stuff. And that kind of thing always happens. I remember the Star Trek thing. Those guys were mad because Shatner would come in and look at his strip and go, I should be doing that. And then Sulu or whatever would be like, what? And then he would do it. And they would always say, and he did it brilliantly because he could just come up with stuff. And again, he's and that's the thing. Darren McGavin was a great actor. I love Burt Reynolds. I think he's got a, an iconic place in our culture. But, you know, and Darren McGavin played Mike Hammer, which yep. another guy in this famously Ralph Meeker. If you ever want to see a great film, Kiss Me Deadly by um, uh, Aldrich, Robert Aldrich. It's got mm-hmm. Cloris Leach, but it's a, it's a fantastic Mike Hammer movie, a, a more serious. I mean, none of them were ever really serious, right? The Mike Hammer. He's yeah. a cartoony guy. Uh, but he plays this FBI friend of Darren McGavin. And all of these people, Ralph Meeker, Simon Oakland, uh, they're like friends of this Darren McGavin, this Kolchak character. And anyone who's seen the TV show knows he's this obnoxious, pushy, you know, reporter that does whatever he wants. He wears these clothes that like make him look like he's out of a 
road company <laughs> guys and dolls, which they refer to as the Night Strangler, the sequel. Um, and and there's something about these guys. They're all in their what 40s and 50s mm-hmm. or or older. They're all adults doing their job. And that's, I think, you know, you don't get that as much in movies, right? The seriousness of this, what would be considered, especially in the culture of 1971 or 72 when it came out, horror movies were still Abbott and Costello meet meet Frankenstein. So to see adults engaged with a vampire in such a serious manner was was revolutionary. I I, I don't, perhaps there were movies, because we think of the gothic, you know, 19th century, Bram Stoker, the Hammer films and everything. I'm sure people out there could find other modern vampire movies. But to me, that's the thing about this that is so fascinating is that aspect of it's taken seriously in its own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, You know, just to hit some, like you mentioned, Simon Oakland, another great actor. We have Claude Akins in here who plays the, he's the sheriff. It, there's a couple different law enforcement agencies involved, but he's, kind of the, the head honcho of the sheriff's office there in, in Las Vegas for this one. Claude Aiken's another legendary actor. Um, Carol Lindley is in here as Kolchak's girlfriend. She's famous for another number of reasons, not the least of which appearing in Playboy, but actress, you know, on her own right. She didn't have a long acting career, but she was in a qu- quite number of things. Um, and then, yeah, but we, well, beside the adventure, ahead. everybody yeah. knows, mm-hmm. of course. And Harlow has been forgotten. That was her big, supposedly going to be she's the next Marilyn Monroe, and it didn't really go anywhere. And then Bunny right. Lake is missing. If you ever want to see a paranoia movie, Bunny Lake, where this woman, Carol Lindley's kid, disappears and no one believes her. And it's directed by Otto Preminger, who disowned the movie and thought it didn't work, but it actually has become this incredible. And Lawrence Olivier is in it, and he's good. So she could act, right? And her career after the 70s kind of, I don't know whether she decided to retire for personal reasons or so. You never know with people, but this was her heyday. And she looks great in this film. Yeah. They give her some outfits and stuff. Um, and so that's, it's it's a cast of total professionals, right? They're doing their jobs. And they have this setup, which is so great. And I just want to talk about the opening of this film, because I love it, where Kolchak is, we don't know who he is, but he's in the seedy motel. He's got a fridge with like just beer in it. And he's got his tape and he starts playing his thing and he's listening. He's got this book and he has this whole, you are about to hear about events so unbelievable that it may blow if you ever hear, but you know, I will never speak of this again as the, the old Lovecraftian device. So instantly you're in, okay, we're having a memory piece. And then he goes into being in Las Vegas as this reporter and getting called in. They they start with the first murder, very attractive girl, another Dan Curtis special, right? All mm-hmm. women in dark shadows and everything. He said, oh, you know, you got to make it really pretty. And she gets murdered and then they find her and then they they have this autopsy scene, which they shoot really great, right? That from overhead or the, from the corpse's perspective of these right. guys slicing her up, an impossible perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And they're all like, oh, oh, what's this? What's this? Something bizarre about the corpse. You don't know yet. And then they say, whatever you do, don't tell anyone what you've seen today. So right away, we have this idea of a cover, which I think is great. Yeah, definitely. And of course, who's our, our lead surgeon? Who's the coroner for? You, you <laughs> Frank know, the Burns. Of, yeah, it's Frank Burns. It's Larry <laughs> Linville. Great. He, he's got a small part, but he, you know, he's recognizable. It's fun to see him in there, right? He does fine. Um, yeah, the other thing we we want to mention right away in here is the soundtrack. Now, the soundtrack, I, I realized just TV movie, and this is Robert Colbert, who had worked a lot with Dan Curtis and did a ton of the Dan Curtis shows, um, including like Dark Shadows and these other things, all we talked about. But I, I'm I, I don't know, maybe I am too taken with it, but I really think this is a great soundtrack. I think it's it really it it's kind of upbeat and has that mysterious tone to it and just keeps the whole story moving along you, you know it kind of just kind of gets you to slide a little bit forward on your seat a, as it goes i think it's really and they wonderful. put it in at different points once you're aware of that that soundtrack and you start to hear how it suddenly comes on and you're like oh what's going on and then he has these like softer these little trumpets that go nah, nah, nah. I, i'm again i can't do it but you know what i'm talking about where you know he goes up to the big villain's house and they just have the music comes up and you're on the edge of your seat it's great and again i don't know whether it's because it's a different kind of hollywood right even though they had the the studio system was 
was passed. It's still there were all these technicians. There were all these people because it's filmed on a back lot somewhere. You can tell a lot of the stuff. They have him driving through Vegas, but I'm sure all the other stuff was in L.A. somewhere in a back lot. And um, the guy that's that's I would add, tell people to check out the soundtrack because you'll really enjoy it. You'll see it in the movie, but because they have versions of it out there, it's really fun. And I put it in my I had another class where students made pretend horror movies they put a trailer together and they would some of them would use that soundtrack after they heard it it was great you know because it just evokes that yeah definitely so we we have this initial story and then we're in our initial part where they're like you say they're doing the autopsy and then we're introduced to coltrack and he's driving he's got a beat up what is that i think a 68 camaro convertible camaro it's all kind of beat up and started to rust it out Either yeah, or a Mustang or a Camaro. I can't remember which, but yeah, yeah it's a, it, it, even for that time, it was sort of cool and sort of seedy. Right. Yeah. And, and so we're, he's driving, he's got the soundtrack and we had the monologue going, which is one of my favorite things, whether it's detective stories or stories like this. I, you know, I'm one of the very few people that like the original theatrical version of Blade Runner because I like monologues. Right. I, I like to hear that, that voiceover in the background. Um, but so he's been called back. He's supposed to be on vacation. He's called back, goes to his editor, Vincenzo, who, you know, his, his dad supposedly left right after he was born. And the question is, why didn't his mom leave too, right? <laughs> right. That's great. Simon and they know each other from a past because yeah. he's, you know, Vincenzo assigns him to this thing. And he's like, why did you assign this to me? This is a dead case. I'm a girl that's three weeks old or a week old, whatever it is. And, but he, and you're very, curious because in one of them it might have been the ninth strangler or stalker at one point he tells i think it might be the second one he says to kolchak you're a great report that's why i always will admire it might even have been this one when he gets betrayed at the end and and he says to him you're a great reporter he assigns him to this yeah but then of course he always regrets it because what happens kolchak begins to investigate and the other thing i liked about this was kolchak has all of his contacts the doctor at the hospital mm -hmm. uh the woman at the switchboard all these different people that he and you know uses to get information and finds things out about the coroner's report that's done there and they have this running gag where he says these things and then the sheriff uh claude akins goes he's not supposed to hear how did, where'd you find that out or that ralph meekerla says as the fbi guy wait how do you know that right so he's an insider which is really cool yeah and, and it makes sense for if he's a a you know because we get the idea that one time he was a big time reporter he was on the best newspapers, like you say, New York, all this stuff. And and now he's stuck in Las Vegas. So obviously he's dropped. You know, he was probably Pulitzer Prize winning reporter at some point. And now he's kind of on, you know, you know, down in the dregs. And he's trying to claw his way back up and get that story. But he's got the contacts and that feels right. It feels how it should, you know, which is nice. Now, we should probably mention, so Simon Oakland's the only other actor that follows him not only to the Night Strangler, the other movie, but to the TV show, to the yes. Cold Track, the Night Soccer TV show. And he was the star, one of the actors in the only movie Darren McGavin ever directed, ah. which was something like Happy Mother's Day, Love George, I think it's called. Well, it's not a success. It was a really bad <laughs> horror film. But I noticed Simon Oak was in a minor role. So all these people know each other. I think they had a good time together. And, and it, I think with Darren McGavin, if you got along with him, I'm sure he defended you. To, he's like a type of guy you wanted on your side, right? Because he was prickly. He was very determined and, uh, you know, bucked up against the system. Very Kolchakian in a way, right? right. Yeah. For, for for our younger viewers who have no clue what we're talking about, he's the old man in a Christmas story. I, I shouldn't oh, yeah. have to tell you that, but, but the that's father. what he is, right? <laughs> yeah, he's the father in a Christmas story. So, so then we have what we have a... I think we have another killing because we see we see him. We we see our, our killer grab the girl for the second killing, right? Or was that the first one? Or the first one. The second one, we just find a body, but there's something That's strange right. the, about it. Yes, yeah, the road worker finds the body. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And um but the body is in the middle of a it, it's in the middle of like the sand pit or wherever. But and there's but none of the area around the body's disturbed. So how'd the body get in this area that with no footprints around it or anything? You know, and Coltrane. and they calculate that it has to have been thrown like 250 feet. 
And this is where you see Kolchak being Kolchak. He puts it in his article, and we see Simon o- Vincenzo repeating what he's got in here. A super killer, a strong man. Is, uh, this, I, I didn't hear that they're drained of blood. And he's going, but I know it's true, right? And this fight between the authorities and Kolchak with Vincenzo in between, right? Because he's the guy that can hold a job. He can be the editor. He can be, but in order to do that, he's got to cooperate with this guy, which is what he says to Kolchak. Can't you just cooperate? Can't you just wait for them? But Kolchak can't, right? And he's our protagonist, right? He's causing the action. So, but already we're, as a viewer, going, they're being drained of blood, superhuman strength. Where have I seen these capabilities, you know, these characteristics before, right? Yeah. And and then we either have... I, I I just watched this the other night and and I didn't I should have took notes, but we either have the the robbery the of the um blood bank or we have the autopsy findings. W- one of the two. Um I think his buddy calls him and says, Oh, they knocked off a somebody yeah. knocked off a hospital and stole a bunch of blood. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe we might also have Col- we meet Carol Lindley as his girlfriend wearing a very sexy outfit. She's described as a co-worker of this woman that's killed. And at the middle of the end of the scene, she goes, oh, and, you know, it's the, at nighttime. And she goes, oh, there's there he is. There's my client or whatever. She hustles off and we'll begin to discover what is her background exactly or what is her occupation? Because at the end, they make it very clear when they when they banish. Her, right. Right. So we meet her. We get a little more information about this woman and he's doing his investigative work. Again, he's a professional reporter. He's mm-hmm. he's investigating. And it's really, I think. Well done. And then we get our first press conference, which is this device this, of each. <laughs> I'd like to hear your impressions of this because the first one only has three people at it. Right. But as we go through, they're suddenly very crowded with people. Well, because he so he meets his he meets Meeker. He meets his FBI buddy first because he's the one that clues him in that that's yes. going to happen. He says, you're going to want to be there at five o'clock or, you know, wherever it is. And he's there and there's like two other. And, he, and I forget exactly how Kolchak says it. You know, McGavin said, you know, he was two, two other so-called members of the press. And, <laughs> and and then he goes down the, you know, all law enforcement officials and city officials and stuff. And it's, also that Meeker thing is great because it's at a swinging singles kind of environment. It's a hotel, yeah. but all girls in bikinis walking by and Meeker goes off with some girl. It's very like swingy. And again, Vegas, I, you, you mentioned this, the fact that he's to our younger v- listeners Vegas at this time was not a big town, right? It was a hick time. I mean, yes, it had a gambling thing, but it was nothing like it is today, you know. And I, I know of people that have grew up in Vegas, and they say up through the '90s it was very small, so it was not considered a great thing. But this image of Kolchak at the bar—they're drinking beers in the middle of the day and all this stuff—it's a great moment. And Meeker always makes it clear, "I'm your friend." So he respects him. Here's this FBI agent. If you get respect from that guy, we know as a viewer, oh, Kolchak isn't just some goofy guy in a pork pie hat. He's something about him. But then as he goes along, he also warns Kolchak, be careful. Don't mess with these guys. Because remember what happens at the end of the press conference with the DA, right? Yeah. He's, well, Well, that's the thing. So, And you you can tell really quickly that all these officials, the the sheriff and the, the county commissioner, whoever he is, you, you know, or city commission, you know, they all know Kolchak because, you know, when he starts talking, they're like, shut your mouth or or be quick about it. Or, you, you, you know, you can tell that he's crossed them all before. Right. And and so he's kind of like walk on eggshells. But then the coroner's, you know, given his report, and he, you know, and he basically describing a vampire, you know, he's like, you know, as a bite. Well, Kolchak asked him to describe the bite. And he's like, oh, it's like a canine. And there is saliva mixed in and the body's drained of blood. It's. You, you know, and and the um, yeah, and, and the and the officials are just getting more irate. And Kolchak's he's got his little camera taping it or or, or whatever. And you know, it's like, well, you're not going to release any of the, you know. He's go, well, this will be in the paper, and they're like, no, it won't be. <laughs> it's you, you're not going to release a word of this. And he basically says, we're not going to cause a panic. Yeah, it's bad for the public. It's bad for policing. Investigate, and then he hesitates and smiles almost at the camera and says, and it's bad for business. Right. And three this is, years, I think, this three years before Jaws. Yes. And I think this is where it, this movie starts to tie into the 70, 60s, 70s paranoia and distrust, right? Where we have the, the Vietnam War, we have the Kennedy assassination, we have the Pentagon Papers, we have Watergate coming up. 
where it's hard for us to even imagine the trust that people had in the government and had in their officials. Now, I read this whole book years ago about there actually people were mistrustful in the 1800s and there were mm-hmm. periods where Americans have not. So it's not like brand new, but certainly coming out of World War II, people trusted the government. They were going to stop the communists. They were going to do the right thing. And suddenly it was obvious they weren't, especially the Pentagon Papers and then people who killed Kennedy and why and all that stuff. So this movie was like, what would happen if a vampire really was stalking people in a major U.S. city? The answer is the government officials would cover it up and they just get rid of it. They burn the bodies. They take care of it. But you would never know about this. And this is a twist, I think, that makes this Night Stalker for me so great. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. And and well, well, we'll talk about when we get to the end, but you can understand why the the officials are doing what they do. You, you don't like it, but you can understand why they're doing what they do, you know. Um, and he wants a story. He doesn't yeah. care about mass panic. He doesn't care about businesses ruined. He cares about Carl Kolchak, which is what makes him great, but also is his, is his, the hero's flaw, right? That he... If he cared more, he might have been able to cooperate with them and maybe get a story, like write a movie about you know, what the movie that we're seeing, right? But right. instead, he can't help himself. He's He has speeches to Vincenzo where he says, there's a mad guy that thinks he's a vampire and we're keeping it quiet and women are dying and women do die because of that lack of information. Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah, there's no doubt about it. We see... Um... I like I say I forget the the exact sequence, but there's there's another girl we see get killed who has a a dog in the back of her car. She opens, you know, we we see him sitting in his car, and, and we haven't, you know, so the, actually this is the first time. So we've seen the killer from behind before, and kind of in the shadows, but this time we see his face and or his eyes at least in the rearview mirror. Right, we mm-hmm. see like his eyes and nose in the rearview mirror, and. We see this lady go into her car and he gets out and he walks up to her and she goes her back and opens up the, the rear door and a dog runs out and runs at the sky. And he, he just grabs the dog, kills it really easily and goes up and grabs her. And, and then it cuts to black. But um, yeah, so, so we're seeing that, more that's of such a great image. The dog is a Doberman Pinscher, which at that time was a bit the dog to have for, you know, if you wanted security. Yeah. The other thing is, all we've ever heard is some growls. He kind of goes, oh, oh, which is, what is that about, right? And then uh, I think that the next, because she kind of disappears. We're going to see her again later. Mm -hmm. And then um, we, I think, again, the sequence of this has been a while, uh, where they draw the, oh, there's a witness. The lady's daughter is killed at her house. She thought he was like making out. She was making out with some guy and then she's dead. And she gives a... uh, a police drawing of the guy and it's in the newspaper and there's this great scene where the newspaper's ripped out of the stand in a casino and this guy's walking along and we see him from behind and everyone who sees him just looks up and goes oh my god right it's the vampire right again all we've seen are his eyes and from the back but we get this sense of oh that you just look at this guy and think what in the hell is you know he's terrifying, and again the vampires stare right all this legendary mm-hmm. stuff, which Carol Lindley will fill us in on vampires right. She'll give us later the whole she researches this and gives us the lore, so that Kolchak can then because he doesn't believe he thinks it's a nut that thinks he's a vampire, but right. uh, until the classic scene where we see the vampire in action because he tries to rip off another hospital. And he gets caught and the police come. And of course, Kolchak always shows up. He's got a police radio in his car and he's apparently just wandering the city at all hours. Right. Right. Because he shows up in the middle of this battle where we see the strength of that superhuman strength of the vampire. Yeah, he, he t- you know, so like you say, we see Kolchak driving, he hears on the radio and he's cutting, running red lights and cutting cars off, going the wrong way, <laughs> you know, just driving like a maniac. But we, we see this guy, this bad guy, this vampire just tearing through first the hospital staff, just tossing them across the hallway. One poor guy gets thrown out like a second story window. And, and then when the police start showing up, he starts throwing the police aside like rag dolls and they start shooting at him to no effect. And he runs and Kolchak shows up and he sees the tail end of this thing where the guy runs off and, and runs away from him. And and then we have the press conference and Kolchak starts bringing that up. You know, your, your guys, or either incompetent or there's something going on. The guy outran a police cruiser. He did all this stuff. And 
and they're telling him, oh, no, it's, you know, trying to make excuses for it. But you, you can tell the sheriff and, and the city commissioner, I, what, what is his position, that other guy? He's the, the uh, district attorney, the, the real he's not a district lead attorney. guy, district yeah, attorney, yeah. right. And yeah, Ken Smith. The other th- okay. yeah. They have this scene where they corner him in a hot residential house with a pool, and they fall- first he falls in right. the pool with yeah. some guys. Then he gets out, and all the policemen are lined on one side of the pool, and he looks and goes, and we see his face. They shoot him like 38 times. Yep. And you can see bullets bounce, and then he jumps over the fence and runs away. So yeah, now we're like, as a viewer, yeah. he's a vampire. I mean, that. He just got shot six times. I mean, come on. And that's what he does say. Either you're the worst, they're the worst shots in the world, or well, what's going on? And there's something. And the, and the police all gave their report to the sheriff, the DA, and all those people. So they know now we're dealing with something different. And yet they're not going to change their attitude, right? Mm-hmm. But Kolchak, and I can't remember, what, do they do anything to him at that point? Do they warn him about anything? I well, I know remember. Bernie is, Meeker is, you know, Bernie's, the FBI agent's Bernie Jenks. And right. that's his buddy. And he warns him now between the two. So those are two separate fights with the police. Oh, I I'm think, sorry. OK, no, no, it's OK. But I, I think that Carol Lindley gives him you know, his girlfriend, gives him the book. She gives him a book on vampires between those two fights, I think. OK, I, I think he has that book. And the other thing that happens between these fights, or maybe it's right after this fight, is where he gets a, the copy of the guy's the police artist you know, version of this guy. And so he gives it to a buddy of his, who's, I, I guess, a real estate salesman, or or he's his buddy's going to hand it around to all the real estate salesmen. Of course, his buddy is Elijah Cook Jr., right? And it, people might not recognize that name, but you'd recognize the face. He's in everything from Maltese Falcon to The Big Sleep to, you know, House on a Haunted Hill, Rosemary's Baby, you name it. Um, he's in it, right? Great, great character actor who worked for, I don't know, he probably worked 50, 60 years. 50, right? 60, yeah. I mean, yeah. the guy and and was recognizable and yet could play, and he plays kind of a gambling addict, right? Because he's always at the table and losing, and Kolchak refers to the fact that he's losing. And uh, there's a great scare scene where he discovers the guy, what house he bought, and he's in the back of Kolchak's car, and he's <laughs> Comes up behind him, and it's that like the commercial break, you know, type thing. They have, if you watch the movie, they have these commercial breaks. Yeah, you can yeah. see it's a TV movie, and and you know that's the the other element of the the press conferences get more frenzied. Kolchak also realizes I have the story of a lifetime here, and I am not going to allow this story to the police interference. Whether he would have done this anyway, but he's not going to allow them to screw this up. So when Elisha Cook Jr. gives him the house, he says, "Give me half an hour." before you tell the police and I'm going to show up. Oh, and I think he well, says, we, well, tell, tell this, Bernie Jinx, right? Yeah. Yeah. Before, before he finds him in the car though, we've okay. got, it is Wayne Kolchak has his, his ultimatum with the police where he, where he gives his plan. Oh, I see. Okay. Before then. Okay. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, cause because right he before goes, he walked, you're right. 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 right I'm going to, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he says, happen. you guys need to take these bags. Right. You're exactly right. And they make a deal with him. Right. <laughs> yeah, which they say with well, because he has a kit, a little duffel bag with a a hammer and a wooden stake. This is how you're going to have to do it, and I'll allow you guys. I'll give you a certain amount of time before I break the story, but I get to have the exclusive. And they go, okay. And of course, you're thinking, we'll right. see, Cole Jack. Yeah, and and the other thing he does is he propo- between these events is he proposes to to his girlfriend Gail Foster to Carolyn like he you know he proposes to her and and says why don't you marry me you know and, and stop working nights right and um <laughs> but but then he gets the tip where this guy is and he says get half an hour and then call Bernie calls buddy in the FBI because he trusts him the most out of all the you know he doesn't trust the local police but he trusts his buddy and so Kolchak decides you know, he wants to get there first and check things out and look around and, you know, to get in the house and take pictures. So it's like half an hour before um, dawn, before sunrise, and he's sneaking around in this vampire's house, like looking around. And it's a great scene. He, you know, he's going through and he very he, tense. Yeah, really, because you're just waiting as a viewer. And we find the, the the disguises that the vampire wears. He wears makeup to hide his, you know, anemic ghostly white skin and everything and then he finds the the girl that he's been like living feeding off or living off as they used to say right yeah 
Yeah, and and he's starting to free her, and then he hears the car pull up where the vampire's home. So so he tries to retire up, and he can't get like the tape to reset. He's like, you know, don't move your leg; the tape won't stick. And he hides in a closet, and the vampire comes in, and it like you say, it's really tense. It's very very well done. Uh, of course, eventually the vampire comes across Kolchak. Great scene where he where, where he catches Kolchak, and they're kind of fighting in the house. And at the last minute. Right before um, he's first about of all, what does he have? What did he take that he said oh, he everyone needs to have? He has this cross, a yeah, silver yeah. cross, and he said everyone has to take one of these in their kit. And he puts it, holds it up, and the vampire goes, ah, ah. you know, it's yep. totally so. You're like, it's a real vampire, right? Uh, we've seen all these effects, and uh, so Kolchak manages to get out of the room and down the steps. But of course, this house it's all filled with junk. It's an interesting trope that vampires don't live an organized life, right? Remember the original. <laughs> right. One that's always messy and weirdly they're not able to maintain a whether it's the immortality or something about their nature. So this house is just messy. You're just like, okay, again, I guess it's supposed to be like the the nightmare of perpetual existence or something that you wouldn't have because you have no friends, you have no life. So you're you don't care about your house. So Kolchak trips and that's when the vampire comes in. And then right at that moment, what happens? Yeah, he's about to bite into his neck, and then Bernie shows up, his FBI buddy, and it, and so he starts tussling with him. Kolchak gets Bernie's pistol, he, you know, he f- fire empties the cylinder, six rounds into this vampire, nothing happens. They're tussling with the vampire. Finally, he's able. He, I think they accidentally pull a curtain aside, or maybe intentionally, but the sunlight kind of puts the vampire at bay a little bit, and then Bernie like turns a mirror, and eventually they're able to trap him on the stairs between the sunlight and the cross. And Kolchak gets out the the hammer and the stake out of his bag, and and he he gets one or two good whacks in, and then the sheriff's department comes through the door with Kolchak with a stake <laughs> in this guy's heart and the hammer raised up. He turns around, great, great. It'd be a great freeze frame. It'd be a great little poster for your wall with him turned around looking with the hammer <laughs> raised high. It's like, and he has the triumph where he goes home and he's with. Uh, uh, with Gail, Carol yeah, Lindley, I can't think of what yeah. was her name. The Gail uh, Foster. Foster. He's going. I'm going to go down to the police station, and then I'll meet you later. And I'm going to get my story. And we're back in the big time, baby, and all that stuff. And and as a viewer, you're like, they don't do this in a movie unless right. You never give if you give the plan for like a heist, it doesn't go to the way they plan it, right? And he gets there, and uh, Bernie Jenks's buddy looks all depressed, and. uh he gets in and basically the uh, police tell him, you're not going to publish this story. You're going to get the hell out of town. We've got you on a murder charge for this guy, this vampire. And if you don't, we've got an indictment right here. So if you don't get out of town and he goes, and then they, he goes, well, I'm going to get Gail, my girlfriend. She's been told as an undesirable element to leave town as well. So they scare the crap out of her. And, and then his buddy Bernie says, I'm sorry. You know, what could I say? I can't remember if he has a final scene with Simon Oakland with Vincenzo. Does he? Uh, he does it well. Just before before he goes to police, he does. So okay. he he goes. He turns in. And, You're and right. I that sequence after he kills a vampire it might be where he proposes to her because okay. he knows he's in the big time now because he finishes up his story and he takes a story to Vincenzo. He says, "Here's my story. It's a great story." And Vincenzo takes it and, and you can see he's kind of downpressed. He's like, "Oh, you're a great." That that's where he says. Yeah. You're a great reporter, Kolchak. And Kolchak like pauses for a minute and goes, Well, thank you. You, you know, and and he heads off to talk to the police. And then bam, this hit to him. And yeah, when he goes to call Gail, you know, Bernie says, She's not there, Carl, because they chased her out, but you know, before he so he doesn't know where she went. And they've already packed his bags for him. An officer brings and puts the bags down there right behind him. <laughs> Classic know, touch. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, and that's yeah, the end where he then he says in his in his voiceover, I searched for months. I placed ads in papers, never heard of Gail Foster again. And yep. now we return to this flea bag motel where he's recording this with his one three beers in the fridge, eating fast food. He can't get a job. He's been ruined by the authorities, by by himself, by his hubris or whatever, mm-hmm. but also by these scheming authorities who could never admit there really was a vampire. And and I'll say too, as a kid, I saw this as a kid. They would play it on the ABC movie of the week or whatever. It scared the crap out of me. It's kind of amazing they would show that kind of movie just to a 
you know, there were there was no rating system. Or, I, I don't know, but I, I was terrified by this. And then as an adult, the scares go away. It's still very effective. But the whole this whole 70s noir paranoia conspiracy thing grafted onto a vampire thing, I think is just great. I think that's and that was what fueled Polchak's show, you know, also. And and then the X-Files, of course, that's the whole premise of the X-File. The truth is out there. The government is preventing this from happening, from you seeing this, this sense that the authorities. And again, we see this with the UFO stuff today with these pilots and everything. And I've I've actually seen some very convincing arguments by people like uh, uh, Tyson. What's the physicist? Neil something Tyson, oh, um, who said. Yeah. Let's look into the computer systems that are giving them this information instead of jumping right to they must be aliens, right? So, but but anyway, we are because of our mindset all these years of oh they're having UFOs and the government's hiding it or whatever, right? And that I think this was the first. There may have been others, film buffs out there might know, but to me, what a great you know uh, what do you call that the zeitgeist the you know a signpost of what was going on culturally in this kind of dumb TV movie. Oh, 100%. And they tried to recapture it, like, like we mentioned, with the Night Strangler. We won't go into details with that, but that's, you, you know, they kind of recover a lot of the same grounds. They they put it up in Seattle. We have the Seattle Underground in it. We, it's actually, a, it's an, again, based on a Matheson kind of story. It's it's actually a, a good film. It's worth checking out. You can find it again on YouTube, or you can find sets of the Night Stalker and Night Strangler on DVD and Blu-ray and stuff. Um, but it's not quite as good as this. It it doesn't quite meet it, match up. Yeah, and we were talking. I feel like the the villain is more interesting, partly because we get to know him. All right, we never get to know the Scorzani guy, but but also just the idea of it kind of is makes some sense. I mean, it doesn't really make sense, but you know what I'm saying. It's a horror movie. Yeah, but no, it's it repeats itself. It's um, you know, it the popularity demanded a sequel. Right. And sequels tend not to be as good. It's really hard to do. But, you know, the other element, I was thinking of this. And now if something about the paranoia thing and ah, it's not coming to me, I had some thought. But well, 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 yeah. while you're trying to recapture that, whether you do or not, of course, this went on to become a TV show. Just one season. Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Great show. Highly recommend. You can find that in syndication and you can find those episodes like on Amazon, other streaming services, or there's a DVD set that came out just a couple years ago or a Blu-ray set. I'm sorry. Came out a couple years ago. Well worth your time. And that's really like KR mentioned, that's where the X-Files based on a lot of this stuff. And, and, and they've come out and said this, you know, yeah, we saw this other stuff, but Coltrack's really what got our wheels turning for the X-Files, right? And and it's some of those episodes are really good. It's basically Monster of the Week, Coltrack going after everything from Greek gods to rogue AIs to headless <laughs> headless motorcyclists. The you name it in there. It's really a great show. Um, and, oh, the and dream guy, the guy that or, I was going to say, the guy that has the is in the Dream Research Center. Yeah, and yeah. it's this legendary New Orleans monster. There's just some great because again, how do you do a Monster of the Week? You've got to come up with that. I was going to mention what I thought of. Have you ever seen the movie The Changeling with George C. Yes. Scott? Yeah, great. And that has a cover-up aspect to it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great ghost story. If you like ghost stories, that's one of the, the better ones. First of all, you got George C. Scott in it, who would never make that movie, except they said, well, we can have your wife in it with you. So they went right. to, uh, I believe, Seattle again. It's in Seattle. And yeah. uh, like The Night Strangler. And it's a great movie. But But again, it's infused with the idea that Ghosts, betrayal, cover up, you know, that that kind of a thing. And uh, you just see how that ties in so much to to why um, in a ghost thing, why people would be would not accept their death or would not or would be not at peace kind of thing. Right. Right. The What I was going to mention there, just th there actually is an RPG tie in here. When we look at the TV show. There's a show with a Rakasa or um, Rakasa, however you say that, you know, the Tiger Man. And yep. so that episode is what Gary Gygax had saw. And so some of the Rakasha stuff in D&D &D is based on that Kolchak episode. And, and that's been confirmed that that's where they like the blessed crossbow bolt comes from that episode, not from, you, you know, actual mythology. Right. Which is kind of cool. The there's a guy named um, Gary Stratton. I don't know him, but. 
he puts on Kolchak games at North Texas RPG Con. He did one just this year. And he uses the old Fantasy Game Unlimited Fantasy Game Unlimited's Daredevils game, which is a game we used to play as kids. Daredevils it was a great game. Still, I know it's probably a little crunchy for your taste, but it's um. I'm Mister Crunchy. <laughs> it's like I like I like Rollmaster and all that. Yeah. Um. But so if you ever go to North Texas RPG Con, look for that. You might see a Coltrack game on the on the docket there. So well worth checking out. Uh, you can still find. Like I say, Moonstone Press or Moonstone Publishing, whatever they are, Moonstone Books is still publishing Shack stuff. Some of it's pretty good. Some of it's not so good. But you can find like the original story and things like that are out there. The original novel and, and some following novels, which are pretty good. The other thing. No, that that's pretty much it, I think. Um, the, the other game I know has some ties with this. What, you know, not officially. I don't think it says it in there, but. Probably the you know one of your early horror games, Stalk in the Night, Fantastic by Tritac, which is also Bureau Thirteen, is kind of tied in with this as well. And that game actually used the term X Files before the X Files show ever came out. <laughs> so that That's game, interesting. yeah, Tr- Tritac actually predated a lot of stuff. Like Stargate is basically a ripoff of their um, shoot. They've got a game that starts with an F that I'm not thinking of the name of. But anyway, but they've got a game that basically is Stargate that Stargate probably just copied copied it, to be honest. Um, but anyway, back to Coltrack and The Night Stalker. This is one of those TV movies that Fringeworthy is the game they, they start Stargate off of. Anyway, this movie, The Night Stalker, is one of those TV movies that transcends transcends what a TV movie should be. There are a handful of these, but this one definitely is well worth your time to check out. I think it was one of the, the most highly rated TV movie up to that point. And then of course, I think roots came along if that's a mini series and stuff like that. But, but I believe as a TV movie of the week kind of thing, it was just huge. The nice strangler did okay, I think, but, uh, and there was something that resonated as we've talked about, and it's just a really fun idea uh, mm-hmm. that I think, uh, you know, I showed this to my students in Poland. They were not nearly as impressed as I was. But I mean, because I kind of said, oh, you got to see this movie. Wait, do you see this? But they just they don't have any context with the paranoia, the conspiracy theories. They have their own sets of conspiracy theories there. But so but I so, you know, having said all that, I would you know make sure people realize it's a TV movie. And and if you see it on YouTube, the quality, I, I wish there were a better versions out there somewhere because. The quality is really bad of the of the ones I've seen on Netflix. It's probably why they've been allowed to stay up, right? If it's so bad, you can't you can barely see people's faces and stuff. So uh, I would encourage people to try to find a really good copy if they, if it's. I don't know if, like you said, if it's streaming, but but it's just so to me. It's such a touchstone of my youth and and when X Files came out, I was like, oh, I could tell Chris Chris Carter watched this and he had Kolchak on the show as a legendary FBI investigator, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think it, it, it's like you said, I think it's a really good term. It transcends the usual TV movie, but is a TV movie, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just be prepared for that. But the economics of this, when you watch it, you really break down this. They, they did this very inexpensively. They only had a limited budget and it's so effective the way they do it. Yeah. So it looks like you can now. I don't know. I was trying to look to see. OK, so here. Uh, well. The double feature one, Blu-ray, is that's kind of expensive. It's like fifty-four bucks. I don't, I don't. But they're they're out there. If you look on YouTube and stuff, you you can find or not YouTube on um like eBay and all. You 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 can find copies of this thing. It's it's definitely worth finding. And I agree with you. This definitely predated, not predated, but it. You can see the ripple effects from this in the media sense. You know, and and this is one of the things where you think, you know, what are your shows that have a reporter as your hero? And, you know, there there are a number of them, but this is definitely for investigative reporter back when when that was a respectable thing. This is one of the highlights of that subgenre, I think. There are a number of them, but this definitely stands with all the others. 
And he makes some inside journalism jokes at one yeah. point when Vincenzo's yelling at him. In the 20s, they would have, when they had a big murder case, they would show like a floral wreath around here, maybe even in the yellow journalism 90s days. And they'd have the, the murder victims up in heaven talking. What are they talking about? This was just would be considered so hokey by the 70s. But that was only like 50 or 60 years before, sort of like the 70s are to us now, right? And then he jokes about a reporter is one part this or one part that, you know, he, he cites. So the journalist was already the ink stained wretch type guy, kind of a seedy profession, especially before the professionalism got in when college, when reporters became college educated and they have journalism schools and telling the truth and investigating, getting down and sourcing, which Vincenzo, by the way, is constantly saying that to him. Where are your sources? They're not on, you know, you don't have any. Yep. I can't print this. We're all going to get fired. And then it follows up with Night Strangler. And Kolchak doesn't care in a way. And that's why he's not successful in, 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 as, a, <laughs> as a reporter. Kolchak. Shelly Forbes has got to be his fifth victim. Look at the way her dog was killed. You'll never give up, do you? What do you mean? I mean, this is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Kolchak, I'm very close to firing you. Even though the owner of this paper has a soft spot in his head for has been big city reporters. I am tired of your pressure, Kolchak. I'm tired of the owner's pressure. I'm tired of the pressure from all around me to blow the story up on the one hand and keep it under wraps on the other. I am tired of being the middleman, Kolchak. Do you understand that? Can you understand that? What do you want, Vincenzo? A testimonial from Count Dracula? Out! Get out! What is this out-out get-out game we play? This nut thinks he is a vampire. He has killed four, maybe five women. He has drained every drop of blood from every one of them. Now, that is news, Vincenzo. News. And we are a news paper. We are supposed to print news, not suppress it. You know darn well why we're soft-petting this thing. No! Tell me why. Could it be because we have been told to? Kolchak, you are an idiot. Worse, you're irresponsible. All these murders mean to you is a bylaw. Well, what the hell difference does it matter what it means to me? The point is that we are suppressing news. We are withholding information. Everybody in town knows what's going on. The police, the DA, the coroner's office. The, the, every reporter on every newspaper in Las Vegas knows what's going on. The only people who don't know are the people. At last you got the point, Goldshack. The people in Las Vegas don't know. Because the people in Las Vegas would come unglued if they did know. Even more than they're coming unglued already. Capish? And that's one thing that gets expanded a little bit in the TV show that's great. Because you have a couple other the people, you know, staff reporters... And they're great. A couple characters on there and you get to meet them throughout the series and, and follow them. And, you know, there's one part where Kolchak's given, well, you're going to do the, you know, the advice column. The, what, what was her name? The, you know, the lady. Always, yeah. yeah. Dear Abby type column. Yeah. Dear Abby, you're doing the Dear Abby <laughs> this month and, and stuff like that. And it, it, it's fun. I, I do highly recommend this. All, all these. Um, Yeah. It, it's so great. I'm so happy that you reached out to me and and wanted to do this. I really appreciate that. Thank you. No, I, I love this. And I thought of you having listened to many of your uh, other reviews of movies and stuff. And and I thought this is one that deserves, um, you know, to talk about because it's a movie that transcends itself. You know, it was a historical artifact. It had, a, it has had effects. And for me, it just meant something. And then when I watch it as a adult, instead of being a kid, the professionalism and the everyone's taking it seriously. These are big time actors who read this script and whatever they thought about the premise or whatever, they, they invested their total energy. These are it's a movie about adults doing adult things. And there's something so quaint about that in today's movie landscape, you know? So I just think for me, it resonates in that level because I enjoy seeing when you take it as serious as you can, there's jokes and stuff in there, but when you're taking this totally seriously, what you can achieve uh, as opposed to the desire to wink at the audience or make fun or, or whatever, or, and I understand you have to have this and this is, you know, Hey kid, get off my lawn, old man stuff. But when you have young people doing stuff in their twenties or whatever, it all feels a little like dress up to, you know, it's like people, are not, they're not really, they don't have the gravitas. Everyone in this film has gravitas. And that's, that's kind of fun to see. Even right. Carol Lindley has gravitas in terms of what she does for a living. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. The other thing I, I realize, and, and this is more tied in with the, the TV show, but the TV show was before you really did 
that season long plot and all that. So they really are kind of standalone episodes that one might build a little bit to the other, but they're pretty much standalone. But that really works for this in this format where I don't know if you ever saw the I, I want to say it was early 2000s. They tried to reboot this. They just called it Night Stalker. And it was supposed to be like his nephew or something. It, it's horrible. It's not good. Okay. Um, yeah, don't don't waste your time <laughs> trying to watch that. But they really tried to build up their, you know, there's this mystery and, and conspiracy and like his wife was killed or something. And he, But but it was, you, you know, they lost what the show was supposed to be about, you, you know, and, and it and it loses like all the journalism stuff you're talking about. It kind of lost all that to try to delve more into an X-Files kind of mythos mystery thing. And and it lost sight of what it was doing. Where this, well, I, I think, does a great balancing act between a mer- monster of the week and do, looking at journalism and doing that. And, and this isn't a super critique of journalism, but it's a, a little bit of a view in there that I think people today don't get anymore. Yeah, and I would say too, when you have the con- vast conspiracy, because for me, in the end, the X Files, I kind of like the monster of the weeks better yeah. than the conspiracy because. Like that old TV show Lost, where they had this elaborate conspiracy. When you got to the end, you're sort of like, really? Well, that's a lot harder to do. And I would tie that into an RPG game. If you've got some vast conspiracy, you know, some I tend to make these things in my homebrewed worlds where I have some vast, you know, conspiracy. And sometimes, you know, really what it does is the players are the ones killing the big bad villain or defeating it. So it has a certain, you know, impetus and fun with that. But if you look at it as a story, if you had to make that into a movie or something, it might be a little like, really? That's, uh, you know, I really like that battle that they fought here or that battle that they fought there. But the overall thing, you know, that's tough. That's very difficult to do effectively. And I think that was, to me, the weakness of the X-Files. Maybe there's people out there who think the opposite, right? Or the that I love the alien thing. I don't even remember exactly how it ended. It, it really got into, what's his name's uh, back, uh, uh, Mold, Moldar's background yeah, and all that Moldar. stuff. Yeah. So uh, again, I love the Xbox. I watched it. I, I, it's, it's aged. Obviously I have seen some reruns recently, but, um, but I just feel like that monster of the week thing with the cold check and the reporting thing is just more entertaining to me because it's self-contained and I can sort of believe it a little better. Well, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And there's no vast conspiracy between the episodes each of the, he just, he happens to be unlucky enough to come across all these different weird things, which, you know, he, you know, who who's unlucky enough to be on the cruise ship with a werewolf, right? Well, Coltrack right. is. So it's that's that's the suspension of disbelief card being played, and we just buy in because we're not gonna have a different reporter every week who runs into these. Why? We have a star and he's he's everywhere he goes. It's like uh, you know, um a, a TV show with a detective and they're in a small town and there's murders every week. Well, this becomes the murder capital of the world, right? So well, that's just the way it is, or so. You know, and Colombo, the old Colombos, where all these rich people are bumping people off. Really, I don't think they really are in real life, but that's okay because that's what we want. We 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 get if you get the premise, and that's I think too. Oh, I don't like these vampire movies because I don't believe in vampire. Or I don't. I just don't buy it. Right. Whereas I buy it because I love the idea of that. Right. I love mm-hmm. the idea of the supernatural. I don't necessarily believe in the supernatural, but I I love the storytelling power of it, and so I'll I'll buy that versus. Sometimes, you know, like, I don't know, Marvel movies or something. Sometimes I'll be watching as the computer generated things fight each other. And I think, what is this? You know, what, 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 where are the stakes? I, I, there's nothing I can, I can cling to. But again, that's get off my lawn, kid, with your Marvel movies. So, because <laughs> again, I love something like The Changeling, which is a very old fashioned movie as this is. So, uh, you know, to each his own, I guess. Right. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before I let you go? Well, just, you know, I have my my channel, uh, my YouTube channel, D&D Homebrew, that I talk about. It's sort of a system agnostic thing about RPGs. Uh, I started I, from the age when D&D was RPGs. So I call it D&D Homebrew, but it's not necessarily about that. And in fact, uh, I'm excited to play in your ape victorious game coming up here shortly. If we can yep. figure out a time when we can all get together. Uh, and I'm playing with Joe Richter and I, I love, I, I, uh, I just been looking through. This is an old edition of call of Cthulhu, yep. right? The old, uh, yeah. you know, and I just, I had this and, and I've been looking through these. I've been inspired by listening to you and other people. And, and of course my podcast I do with 
Daniel Norton, who your listeners know very well, uh, the one and only Daniel Norton of Bandits Keep. Uh, so I, we, we do a podcast every week. So I, I would encourage people if they're interested to check that out. It's called Monsters and Treasure. And we talk about basically being a, a GM, DM, or referee, however you say so. Uh, but I have to say, I really appreciate you taking the time out and and having me on because uh, I, I love listening to your channel. I love uh, the movies that you've brought up. Have been so great to to hear those, you know, hear about those, and then it gets you to watch them again, find them, look at them, think about them, and they're kind of movies that you know, something like Kroll or something like that, you know. Um, and 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 I would encourage people, you know, listen to those, get those movies, and then go out there and research. I can't. I'm gonna. I wish I could remember the one about the zombies, the Cornish Night of the Zombies. I think it's called. Check it out. It's a hammer thing because there's something, you know, both in the there's something charmingly innocent about that period in its own way, and and um, and really fun. So it's great to because this, this causes me to you know review see Night Stalker yet again and think about it. So thank you so much for having me on. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, you mentioned that I, I probably should have brought this up then. So we'll, we'll digress just for a second before we go out. But you mentioned that. And and then, of course, the the version of I Am Legend with Vincent Price, The Last Man on Earth. Those yeah. are the two that, like you say, really did set up zombies as we know them today, the Romero zombie. So Last Man on Earth, they're vampires, just like the Matheson story. But they act just like zombies out of, you, you know, the the zombie movies, right? The Romero mm-hmm. zombies act like those vampires do in The Last Man on Earth. And, and I think that really was pretty huge in Romero's, you know, the way he set those up. So that that's well worth checking out. That's a great movie. That's probably and, the you best know, adaptation, really, of, of that. Much as I love Omega Man, Charlton Heston Omega Man, it's got nothing to do with the story. Well, a little bit to the story. <laughs> It's a great show on its own merits, but the last man on earth is the closest to I am legend to the actual story. I think so. Absolutely. And, and is his wife in the basement or something? I can't remember. What's the one maybe I'm thinking of another one where the guy's trying to save his wife from this. She's, I can't remember, but there's another one. Maybe it's a different. And then of course I am legend. Everyone knows the Will Smith Mm. version, which you know, is updated to the plague thing and, yeah. and all that, which is, I think, from so yeah, the the the, the and I would encourage people to read Richard Matheson's books yes. too. I think uh, that Legend of Hell House used to creep me out, and it's the movie's great too. That would be another one we could review. I don't know if you've seen that recently. That's a great film. As a it's been a while, but it, yeah. The soundtrack by uh, uh, what's her name, Derby De- Devonshire. Uh, so, so uh, Delia Devonshire, really great, s- creepy soundtrack. So, um, and that's a Matheson. He's like he's a titan of the horror genre because he's a really good writer that took takes horror seriously and takes right. sci-fi and, and tries to create something that has plausibility. You know, it, it, it is not silly or. I don't know. He and it, it, a part of it is just he's a good writer, and that that always helps your material. Just like having good actors in the Night Stalker. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, and you know, the, like like we mentioned, the cast in this are really good actors, and that really helps. You've got not just throwaway TV actors, people off the street, but you've got not putting down TV actors, but you know, most of these main characters had movie chops, and they 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 really could carry their weight. And like you say, they took it seriously. So. Okay. Well, we we could probably go on all night, but 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 I'm gonna let you go. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon. Yeah, and we'll we'll get that Planet of the Apes game using Apes Victorious from Goblinoid Games. We'll 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 get that to the table hopefully here. You know, not too long. As soon as we can get everybody's schedules coordinated. All right. Great. Thanks again. Okay. So that's it. The book's finished, and now you'll have to judge for yourself. I must warn you, however. If you try to verify this account, you will find it quite impossible. Item, in Washington, D.C., there was no longer a file listing the suspect under his true name or any of his alleged aliases. Item, in Las Vegas, all of those who were involved have either left town, aren't talking, or are dead. I haven't had a decent night's sleep since all this happened. And now you might find it difficult, too. Because there is still one fact that cannot be buried. After the death of Janos Skorzeny, he and all of his victims were immediately cremated. Why?
legend, all those who die from the bite of the vampire will return as a vampire, unless destroyed first. So think about it and try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, in the quiet of your home, in the safety of your bed, try to tell yourself it couldn't happen here. Zombies are arising and the world is gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck. 